This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Bring it over to Murray. Murray playing pretty good right now, isn't he? 13 points. Hook it under to Jokic. Dump it under to Welcome to the program. It is a Tuesday. Sandy and Sean. I'm Sean Drotar. Sandy Clough on my left. Danny Bailey in the booth. You heard our friend uh, Chris Marlowe there on Altitude. Uh, that was Aaron Gordon with the dunk in the Nuggets preseason game against the Bulls. They will get the preseason going again tonight, uh, 8.30 p.m. against the Clippers. You can tell how much the NBA cares about preseason because the Nuggets I have a game against the Clippers tonight. They will have another game against Clippers Thursday to wrap up the preseason. Both games will be in L.A. Because why make the teams travel? We don't care. <laughs> but that's not, we'll get into a little bit more. But the story around the Nuggets centers around the fantastic uh, article in The Ringer, uh, the interview by Kevin O'Connor yep, of well Nuggets done. GM Calvin Booth, in which Calvin Booth is, I think, uh, extraordinarily revealing, maybe to the point where I, I've had folks reach out to me and wonder, did he reveal too much, Sandy? I don't think he revealed too much. I think he did get carried away a couple times. Carried away, okay. Um, and and I, I thought it was interesting that, you know, we think of the GM as the big picture guy, the long-term guy. Yeah. And that's sketched out in this very lengthy feature that not only includes quotes from Booth, but also from uh, various other figures, uh, Christian Braun, most prominent among the players, yep. talking about how he is training the rookies uh, at the Nuggets direction, yeah. of course. Yeah, he and, isn't and, just yeah. stepping in and doing that on his own, but I clearly the most compelling part of the piece Contains the quotes that we touched on yesterday, specifically a regarding bit. Bones Highland and the, yes, and the, trade and the of trading Bones of Bones Highland. Now, I would respectfully and let me just give it. Let me just give it to you real quick. Let me give you that the, the circumstances under which Bones yes. Highland was traded, uh, his leaving the bench and so on. Booth talks as if he would have been traded anyway. At about the same time that uh, it, now he doesn't say it in so many words, but the leaving uh, the scene of the game before the game was over uh, was incidental, apparently, to Booth. Though it did sour many of his teammates on Highland and, and certainly oh, accelerated no, no the process. No doubt. I, I Well, maybe and maybe not, because from the way Booth is talking, his whole philosophy is based on no players having Overlap. skills that are particularly overlapping. Right. And with Highland and Porter, you had two shooters, two scores, who couldn't guard, in Booth's opinion. Now, Porter got better in the playoffs, played a little more defense, rebounded more enthusiastically, but also was on the bench in key moments. In moments. From time to time during the And that, and that, that had something to do with the emergence of Bruce Brown as an extraordinarily clutch player. He, of course, has right. moved on to the Pacers. Well, that was the other interesting as, quote. As uh, Calvin Booth talks so about we'll, we'll overlap. <laughs> yeah, overlap is a silent killer is what he said. That's but here's he said. the Bones Highland quote we talked about. And uh, here's Booth's statement in the ringer. Quote, I knew you couldn't have two guys that couldn't guard 
and we couldn't have two guys that were young and kind of more me guys. Mike makes $30 million. He's one of the best shooters <laughs> in the NBA. So, Bones, there's no place for you. Exactly. End quote. Bones was not making $30 million. Uh, nor, nor was uh, Michael Porter Jr. walking out on the team um, leaving the bench during games. No, no, but that isn't mentioned there. And he's and also 6'10", which is the difference from Bones Highland. Is well, this, I mean, there's but, but size, there's other abilities. That isn't mentioned either. No, and, the and, money and was I mentioned. And I think Booth is very conscious of the money uh, aspect and the idea of, uh, to the greatest extent possible, especially under the new rules now that govern NBA finances, essentially. Yeah. These aprons it, it, and tax it, it, aprons, you, and yeah, exactly. it, it's really so you, tough. So you need to be very careful with your core players, and they're all under contract long-term. That's right there at the top of the piece. Jokic can be a free agent after the 26-27 season. Murray and Gordon are both secured through at least 24-25. Gordon has a player option in 25-26. Michael Porter under contract until 2027. So the nucleus is essentially here long-term. And actually the salaries of basically the core guys exceed the salary threshold for, for this year. But you're dealing with inexpensive people on the middle and lower tiers of the team. If you talk about three tiers, the, the, you're yeah. generally talking about five starters, your your first four or five off the bench, and then and the whoever guys is the, left. Yeah, tail end. Pro, right. pro, hopefully kind of prospect guys. For the record, the Nuggets in, in salary cap right now are sixth in the league behind the Warriors, the Timberwolves, the, the Phoenix Suns, the Philadelphia 76ers, and the Clippers. Uh, out of those teams, only the Timberwolves at an average age of 25.7 are younger than the Nuggets' average of 26.6. So this is that they're sixth when it comes to cap right now, right. which, I mean, for the champs, that seems not too shabby. And when you're talking about the relative age of that out of the top uh, six teams in expenses, the, the Bucks, by the way, seventh, the Celtics eighth, the Heat ninth, if you're curious about the real contenders in the league. Uh, the Nuggets are the second youngest to only Minnesota right. among all those top nine teams, and we know what they did to Minnesota. Well, it, you know what else is interesting? Tim Connolly and Calvin Booth have had a relationship like, well over a decade mm-hmm. in length. Their approach to team building, I mean, you look at the Nuggets, you look at the Minnesota Timberwolves, two diametrically opposed methods of team building. The, the, the Timberwolves are all about overlapping skills primarily their top two highest paid players and eventually the minnesota timberwolves will have to part with go bear or towns at some point in the not too distant future that will happen anthony edwards is their core player anthony edwards will never leave minnesota i'm sure they'll make him very comfortable when he needs to be you'll move towns and go bear if you have to but yeah edwards is the guy absolutely edwards is is the guy but there's all kinds of overlapping talent and on the nuggets I, I maybe it's not perfect in that respect, but it's it's pretty close and clearly a different way of team building. And about a year ago, before the season began, Calvin Booth gave us a hint of what was to come. Uh, pretty much revealed during the course of the season that 
he was first and foremost not a particular fan of the contract that Tim Connolly, his old friend, had given Michael Porter Jr. Mm -hmm. When in his mind, and these were his words, Porter Jr. really hadn't done anything yet and was yet making $30 million a year on a long-term contract worth more than $200 million. And you know that NBA players get their money. Right. You know, well, one way or the other, they're they're getting their money. It isn't the NFL. So to, to look at really the Highland-Porter mix, we both understood, and I think a lot of fans did too, he couldn't play those two guys together. No. He just couldn't. It, 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 Give up too much, and, and especially in, in, in his second year, uh, Highland, I think, in many ways, regressed, uh, became definitely more of a me first guy. Whereas yeah. I think you saw Porter uh, become less of that. I think they were going in the opposite direction. Yeah, Porter's not going to lead the league in assists, but um, yes, it, it, I thought he. But became a guy that, that, a little more clued in, yeah, as to what in the, the playoffs, were you know, literally role. telling Michael Malone, per Michael Malone, that if if. Bruce Brown needs to be on the game on the floor at the end of games. Um, I'm okay with that. Supposedly. Well, I have trouble believing that. That was a Mike Malone story. Yeah. That was not a Michael Porter Jr. story. Well, I will uh, say Porter I, Jr. didn't look I like he was shouting at the end I, of games. I have trouble believing that. I, I I don't think that was said, but I think it captured the attitude that existed uh, around the team. I, I think everybody wants to play down the stretch. If you're sure. a starter, and you're not out there with three, four minutes to go in a tight game, you're not no, thrilled I, I, about it. I think it. if you're a competitor, you, I, I think if One Christian, Christian Brown, you wanted to play, If you're everybody wants well, to play near the end. Yeah. yeah. If, but, you're, if you're a guy with minutes, you'd like to be listen, on the floor. Listen, it, it, I agreed with Malone on that. I mean, defense over offense. Uh, they, they have plenty of scoring. They don't need Porter right. in the last few minutes of a game to score. Oh, they yeah. have plenty the last, of other scoring options. Last other, you yeah. needed a defensive player minutes, out there. Brown's a better defensive player. Mm-hmm. Uh, than Michael Porter and can guard several positions. Michael Porter doesn't have that kind of defensive ability or versatility. Um, There is some mythology around the Nuggets, I think, um, in the name of creating an image that is largely true. I mean, if, if your best player, in fact, the best player in the world, is also the most unselfish player in the world. Everybody else has to fall into line. Right. Even Certainly. even shoot first guys are going to look to pass because they know that if they do pass, they will be rewarded by Jokic, if not by anybody else. But that tends to be contagious. And they have done... I think exactly the right thing in empowering Jokic, not to the extent where he dictates personnel moves or coaching strategy, but when I want to get a pulse for what the team is thinking and feeling, and I used this example during the finals with Miami, that I'm going to listen to Jokic. Before I'm going to listen to any other player, before I'm going to listen to the head coach, before I'm going to listen to the general manager, I'm going to listen to Jokic. Jokic's feel for the game is unsurpassed. And 
He has been given the power now, and we see it more often, that he speaks on the bench. He speaks during timeouts. Not to take over from the coach, but Malone has ceded some authority during games to Jokic. Let Jokic not only be the on-floor quarterback, but often the guy who will make the little corrections, help his teammates out in a way that only Jokic can do without seeming to be egotistical, overbearing. Um, it's it's a fascinating mix. And Booth does spend a lot of time thinking about basketball. This is not a former player who feels entitled to be a general manager. This was a guy who always felt, other than the fact that he was 6'11", that he was built to be an executive, not a coach, not a great player. He had no illusions about that. He's a numbers guy. He, he likes he's, that he's part a numbers of the guy. equation. Yeah. He likes that part of it, and he likes building a team made up of complementary parts. And, of course, as was acknowledged in the piece, it's always good to have the best player in the world uh, on your yes. side. But I thought the most interesting thing he said in here, the dynasty talk, when I first saw clips <laughs> i i said come on now um you know he's talking about winning let me refer, you know, yeah, three refer championships to that is, in four if years everything is optimized, but that's not what he's talking about we should win it three is or four. absolutely not what he's talking about he's talking about three or four over the course of eight years correct and his point in the piece was i don't really think we can repeat this year right there are too many things that can go wrong but he says the idea is that if we have to do something to build our strength for the long term at the expense of this year, we'll do it. That's my job. The coach's job is to win in the short term. The GM's job is to see the big picture. And it's interesting because I think the only six guys who we know are going to get minutes are the starting five from last year, and Christian Brown in place of Bruce Brown. One more. After that, it's all up in the air. No, there's not. There's one more, Sandy. There's one more, and his name is Peyton Watson. No, I I don't believe. I know what he says about Peyton Watson. Well, let me read to to the listeners. Let me read to the listeners what he said about Peyton Watson. When he was talking about losing Bruce Brown, who then went to to Indiana on a two-year, $44 million deal. He said, quote, and Peyton is going to shock a lot of people with how good he really is. Some of these teams were trying to get Bruce, trying to make it worth it. It's like, just be careful what you wish for. Peyton's bigger. He's longer. He's more athletic. He guards better. He passes better. He doesn't have the experience, and he's not as good offensively yet, but we need defense more than we need offense on our team. Peyton Watson just turned 21 in September. No pressure or anything. Well, that that's true. That's true. You're putting pressure on the kid. But one, he's getting totally carried away. Two, he ain't the coach. That's the coach's call. And in this piece, it is established. And obviously, the writer isn't just making this up. He's getting it from Booth. He's getting it from the assistant GM. He's getting it from other people. Six people. It's in the piece. Six people are going to get minutes. We know that. The starting five and Christian Brown. After that, it's up in the air. In other words, you have to earn your minutes. Now, does Peyton Watson have a better chance to earn minutes than Zeke Najee? Yeah, probably. 
But I think Zeke Naji is in their plans, too, as a co-backup along with Aaron Gordon to Nikola Jokic. I, I think DeAndre Jordan is this year's version of Jeff Green without getting Jeff Green's minutes. Yeah. He is the senior citizen in, in the locker room uh, who's a good guy to have around, unselfish, can go a month without playing, and won't complain, at least not at this point in his career. There was no. a point in his career where he would have screamed bloody now he murder. seems comfortable with now, the elder statesman Now he role. knows who he is. Yeah. He's got a ring, which he never had before when he was a more prominent player. He's okay with that. But there are a whole host of people, including the three draft picks, who might not get major minutes but could be in the mix. And, you know, I, I think, listen, Booth drafted Watson. That was a far more controversial pick than Christian Brown. The lowest scoring average ever for a first-round draft pick. So he's obviously a fan. And there was the story, which was circulated by enough people that I believe it from inside the organization, that before the draft in 2022, they're watching at one of the camps, Peyton Watson, and he makes some kind of awkward play on offense and loses control of the ball. They lose possession. Fast break the other way. Watson, defending, running back, comes out of nowhere and blocks the shot. And the story goes that Booth turns to Michael Malone and says, that's exactly what we're looking for and why we're going to draft this guy we can live with the offensive mistake what is hard to duplicate is the hustle to get and the athleticism to get back into the play and block the shot at the other end we can work on the offense Mm -hmm. and that's that's generally i think if booth has a philosophy that's it offense you can work on christian brown this summer worked only on his ball handling and his shooting his spot-up shooting, and his ball handling, which are weak points in his game. And the funny story in there is when training camp comes around, before he hurt his calf, they're practicing, and there's one day that they put him on Hunter Tyson, and Booth is quoted in the piece of saying, Hunter Tyson might as well have been you or me. Right. He couldn't get a couldn't shot even off. even get a shot off. Against right. Brown. Brown just dominated. Then the next day, he puts him on Strother. Same thing. thing. Strother can't get a shot off against Christian Brown. And Booth is saying, that's the standard. And it's a defensive standard. Well, it's Michael Malone likes. And that's what made the Highland trade, I think, inevitable. Uh, You know, maybe it was hastened by a week or two. Because the study pulled, and, and maybe it would have been maybe. for more. Maybe you go, but, would have gotten more value you know had he what? not left the bench. But. You know what? He wasn't happy. He wasn't playing as much as he thought he should have been playing. I didn't even think he deserved to be playing the 19 minutes a game that he was playing. No, and and, and his he, he departure like left and room I'm a for fan. Brown. I, I'm a fan. I like him. I I I think you you need people with that kind of confidence and that kind of willingness to take the shot. Mm-hmm. And I thought he had his moments with the Clippers after that trade, but it was also not just something the Nuggets had to do, but something that they were better off doing because it did open up 
a few minutes, not as many as I would have liked, but a few minutes for Christian Brown, who had been playing a lot less than 19 minutes per game while Bowens Highland was here. Right. And that's what the trade of Highland did. It got a more defensive-minded player into the rotation and a guy who was more responsible. And if he did make a mistake, would learn from it, would accept being benched. But then in the playoffs and the finals, Michael Malone, to his credit, brought Christian Brown back. And by the end of the series, he was getting more minutes than Jeff Green, which made Jeff Green expendable. And apart from ball handling and shooting, he was as good, at least as good a defensive player as Bruce Brown by the end of the season. So it made Brown, especially if somebody was going to pay him more than $20 million a year, expendable. Bones Highland, of course, will be facing the Nuggets tonight in their preseason game against the Clippers, averaging a 12 and a half in the preseason thus far. We talk about Strother. We talk about the rookies. Calvin Booth had a strategy with them as well, and it's, it's obviously a little different than a lot of teams have because they have one advantage that others don't. They're the champs. We'll talk about those rookies, what they can do, and in particular, the performance of Julian Strouther in the early going of the preseason. I guess it gets late uh, early around here, to quote Yogi Berra, because the preseason is almost over. But we'll talk about this more next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Strother got it again. Well, Julian Strother continues to sizzle. Julian Strother of the Denver Nuggets there top pick as a rookie. Of course, there were three added in the draft, Jalen Pickett and Hunter Tyson as well. The call from our friends over at Altitude Television. Strother Sandy in the three preseason games, and as we've said, the NBA preseason doesn't really mean that much, but for younger players, it can. Strother is leading the team in minutes, which is notable because it means Michael Malone wants to see him, or at least the coaching staff. Michael Malone has not coached all these games due to the unfortunate passing of his father, uh, Brendan. But Strather is averaging 22 minutes on the floor and scoring 19.7 points per game on 58.3% shooting. Even more impressive, he's he's taking 12 field goal attempts a game in these three preseason games. Eight of those per game are threes. You talk about three and D type wingers. So he has taken 24 threes. Well, he's, he's hit, the kid of the bunch. He's hit 50% yeah. of them. He's 21 years old, but he is wise beyond those years. Right, played an elite played, program. Played three years big years Gonzaga. Yeah, as a starter, big minutes. 40% of his threes. Kind of reinvented himself. Dynamic shooter, but learned to move without the ball, too. And handles the ball reasonably well. And he's kind of the offensive version of what Brown was at Kansas. Now, Brown improved offensively but made a name for himself defensively. He's not a knockdown shooter. Strother's kind of a knockdown shooter. He's kind of the other way around. In fact, uh, this is what Boo said. Julian was the offensive version of Christian. 
he's hiding in plain sight. Now, Booth claims that he had Strada ranked 17. I don't, draft that's board. not unreasonable. Um, and got him at 29. So, you know, there's a little bit of crowing uh, going on here, but his picks of Brown and Watson, I know for a fact, didn't thrill the coaching staff last year. Neither of them. Neither one. Now, Watson, most especially, but again, there's that story with Booth explaining to Malone why you're going to like this guy. Yeah, we got to work on his offense. His offense is nowhere. But in the meantime, he can play defensively, and when called upon in certain brief instances, in key situations, he held his own. He, last year, he didn't do badly. Then you have Pickett, who's this muscular six foot two inch guard with a six seven wingspan, and Booth says he's six two, but he plays like he's. But remember, five. Pickett led his team in points, rebounds, and assists. Right <laughs> now, it's Penn State, which isn't necessarily uh, an elite program, but it's a decent. When Big you do Ten that program. as a point guard, yeah, uh, yeah. that's something. But now. Uh, here's Tyson at 23, fifth-year senior from Clemson, 6'8", and his main skill is hustle. Mm-hmm. And he's a better-than-average rebounder for his size, and he tries hard on defense. And the strength, or the superpower, as Booth calls it, is his consistency. And He's willing to do the work, and Booth talks about how he can go hard in the morning and scrimmage, and then he can come back that night. Then goes the a little off the rails intensity. with the Dirk and Nowitzki then he compares to Nowitzki, but, which is ridiculous. Yeah, but uh, listen, it, it's also three rookies who are cost effective. They combined will earn twenty-eight point three million over the next four years. That averages to two point four million per season for each player. If any of them hits as a rotation player, and I'm guessing this year, at best, it'll be one of the three. And the other two, either at the end of the bench or getting minutes in another league. But it's a massive bargain if even just one of the three hits because draft picks like that tend to make quite a bit of money, and these guys are very much cost-effective. And Booth's point is somebody could get really, really good coaching for three years and then still be 21 as an NBA rookie. They're getting the best of both worlds. They're getting high-level coaching, learning basketball, and they're still not that old. Only seven players in college basketball last year that had nine and a half rebounds or more, and there aren't that many of those in college basketball. Keep that in mind. In fact, there were exactly 23. Out of the players that had nine and a half rebounds, only six scored more per game than Hunter Tyson. And the performance there, and yeah, it it is mostly hustle, but it's also proof that hustle points matter. You watched uh, against the Bulls, uh, for Troy Craig kind of got in Tyson's face at one, but bumped him all the way out. Tyson brought it up past the half line. Uh, Craig bumped him about four feet behind, you know, the old shoulder in the chest bumped him right four feet behind the three point line. And uh, Tyson gave it right back to him. The referee called a foul. Uh, Tyson got right in his face. He's not backing down. So the hustle is there. there there's a bit of a, uh, what Deion Sanders would call him a dog in there. Yeah. And uh, the, the Nuggets can use that, too. 
think about this. It, this is the best quote in the piece from Christian Brown. And he's passing this on to these rookies. I learned early that most of the time, the worst defender on the court was going to be on me. And that goes for a lot of the rookies. And he's told Tyson this. So if you set a good screen, you get a mismatch for Jamal Murray, let's say. And if the defense doesn't oblige, he showed Tyson where Murray likes the screener to mm-hmm. either pop or slip. And it was a little different if than what he expected. If you can help Jamal, this is what we were talking about just a few moments ago, if you can help Jamal get a bucket, coaches see things like that. Jamal sees things like that. And Nicola sees things like that. <laughs> you can get on the court that just was in the order by, of importance, by the way. that before a lot of guys do. Yeah. So he's passing on that wisdom that through setting good screens, you get your man, who's the worst defender on the court, when Christian Brown played, that was generally the case. Mm-hmm. And when any of these guys play, They'll that'll probably be the case. Until, until they prove that they are dangerous, yes. But you set a good screen, that becomes an ideal mismatch for Jamal or Jokic, not to mention Porter or, or Gordon. Uh, you know, so you, you see these things, and Brown is such a smart player. And these three guys are smart players, too, and they'll understand that kind of instruction. If you said something like that to Bowl Bowl, let's say, or to Bones Highland, Mm -hmm. they're thinking score. They're not thinking, I'm going to set screens. Highland's certainly not thinking it. Bowl Bowl is thin as a rail. He's not thinking about setting screens. But these three guys all have the physique to be good screeners. And that's how you get on the floor. I, I love the fact the that Brown that's actually said in order, uh, Jamal will notice it. Coach will notice it. Nicola will notice it in order yeah. of importance, yeah. by the way. Yeah. And the, the, the part that I like about that is to fit in with what Christian Brown said, to fit in with uh, Murray and Jokic and Malone. And then what Calvin Booth said, what they're really talking about, that Brown is is embodying and bringing to the rookies is the ethos of this Denver Nuggets. You need to, you have a, a rare, I mean, we're talking, by the time Nikola Jokic is done, where, where is he, where is he going to be considered all-time among players? The top 25? Top 10? I don't know. There isn't a ceiling, really. And when you have that kind of player, you build around that. Your job, if you're on the Denver Nuggets, you work around that guy. You be where he needs to be, and guess what? You may win another ring. But it is it is that ethos of the Nuggets that you play like Jokic plays, and will win. And that means sometimes your job out there is you're not taking the shot. Your job is to set the pick and, and live with that for the other guy. And if you're willing to do that, you can play on this team, and this team could be special. And if you're not. For example, a Bones Highland, well, we can't really use you because right. if you don't play like that, and even, I would argue, I, I, I think that over the course of last year, Michael Porter Jr., uh, you can argue about the rather the success rate, but I think you saw a consistent effort from Michael Porter Jr. to not just go out on the floor and take every shot, and I thought that got better as the playoffs went along, yeah, too. Yeah, oh, I agree with that. So you are seeing this sort that. of ethos of the Nuggets be 
be ready to shoot, but don't look for your shot. That's not how this team functions. And it is hard to duplicate that because there is only one Nikola Jokic. There's only been one Nikola Jokic ever. Well, none of this would work or make all that much sense without Jokic. No. There's, there's no doubt about that. This roster has to be built in a very specific way around a particular guy. You can't even really copy what the Nuggets are doing because you don't have Nikola Jokic. Right. So I, I right. give, I, I appreciate the, the admission there that, well, it's a lot easier when you have the best player in the world. But at the same time, it's not as easy as it makes it seem because the traditional standard methods of building a team don't necessarily function the same way. The Nuggets, including Booth and Malone and Tim Connolly to an extent before them, had to understand that even when it started off with trading away Yusuf Nurkic, who was considered it the, the early on a better prospect than Nikola yeah. Jokic, and they quickly realized, whoa, whoa, and the town's not big enough for both of them. Nurkic has got to go. Uh, he's now on the Phoenix Suns with right. one of the guys that, that somehow uh, that sometimes does actually bother Jokic a little bit with the physicality. But this team understood and identified correctly that that Jokic is special and started to build around it. And then Booth took what Connolly built and elevated it to an entirely yeah, different level. And that's why they're walking away with the run. Well, here, and it's the it, reason it, they it, might do it again. Here's the other thing about doing it again, though. And I, and I, I don't think Booth gets carried away here. Uh, this is O'Connor writing. The Nuggets are making a calculated gamble of their own that hinges on the development of their young talent. They need them to help in the short term and hopefully become fixtures in the future. Booth's philosophy is clear. It's better to invest in the future, even if it comes at the expense of immediate glory. And now Booth is quoted as saying, I just want dudes that we try to develop and it's sustainable. If it costs us the chance to win a championship this year, so be it. It's worth the investment. It's more about winning three out of six, three out of seven, four out of eight, than it is about trying to go back to back. I agree with that. I like that strategy. Don't worry about back to back. Worry about your, and that's his job. Your quote championship window. How many do you win in the window? That's that's the yeah. that's the objective. And, and and with Jokic here through twenty seven, okay, you've got twenty four, twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven. At least these four years. Now, will Jokic retire after that? I suppose it's possible if they won another championship or two mm-hmm. in that four-year window. But he's not talking about even two in a row, much less three in a row. You no. know, even he's not Gold, worried about in a row. State didn't do that. Not worried about in a row. And Draymond Green said something in the offseason on a podcast. He says dynasties in the NBA are a thing of the past. The rules, and Draymond Green, whatever you may think of him, he knows the NBA more than anybody Won does. A of those he understands rings. the CBA. doesn't just know the game. He understands the finances and the restrictions now in place, and he says, we will go down in history as the last NBA dynasty. They may, or we may. And they won four in yeah. how many years? We may redefine what a dynasty is. That's the next step. Well, What, was it, what does yes, a dynasty look but, like? In modern you know, basketball. I, I don't know. Four out of eight probably qualifies. I think it does. Um, but winning two in a row. It's hard to do. Hard to do. Hard to do now in the NBA. You know where else is hard to do it? It's hard to do that in the NHL. The Colorado Avalanche can attest to that. But they are off to a pretty good start. Two and O oh on the road. We'll take a look at the Avs. And by the way, and not too long at the top of the hour, Altitude TV's Katie Goss will break it all down with us as well. But we'll look at the Avs start and what it means going forward next on My Life Sports.
This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome back to the program. The Colorado Avalanche have started 2-0 on the road. They'll play again tonight against the uh, Seattle Kraken in a, I guess, I don't know if there's a playoff rematch. This is the same two teams, but, you know, game three, yeah, it's a little different. Well, and the other thing is Seattle's the more banged up team. <laughs> this Already. time the Avalanche are healthier than Well, the Av- Avalanche Seattle. did start 2-0 and in uh, a bumpier fashion than you'd think. The San Jose Sharks and their goaltender, Mackenzie Blackwood, uh, was at the... Blackwood was unstoppable at one of those games, right? Yeah. Just as yeah. Blackwood had one of those stood games. on his head to the point where uh, the uh, altitude uh, broadcaster Mark Rycroft, who's in the uh, in the booth, brought up specifically that he'd seen guys like that, and you're just going to have to put 50 shots on him in order to score. Well, the Avalanche, with uh, only a minute and change left, here was shot number 50. Line, Joe Hansen can't allow that pass, Randy. Can't allow that pass through. Randon to McCarr. Cut, shoots. That one deflects wide. Still alive for Colorado. Now Cunning didn't see the puck. Here's Nachushkin. He's checked by Benning. Val Nachushkin. Back for Kale McCarr. McCarr loads up, shoots and scores. With 1.26 to go, Colorado is tied at 1-1 on a goal by Kale McCarr. Didn't see it. The puck stays in the zone. And watch the screen in front. There's Big Valnichuskin. Mackenzie Blackwood can't see the puck, doesn't know where it is. Goes through four bodies. Valnichuskin in front of the... Yeah, good, good play by Nishushkin, who I wasn't thrilled with in game one, but I, I thought it was much better the other night. And, uh, you know, that's a good description of how the Avalanche worked with the extra attacker, with uh, Georgiev pulled, to get the right kind of shot and the appropriate screen because everything that this guy saw the other night, he stopped. Yeah. And then as they described, he didn't see the McCarr shot because of the screening, particularly by Nashushkin. And that was the only way the avalanche were able to force an overtime. And of course, win in the shootout as it turned out. Call there by the, uh, the sharks broadcasting yeah. team with the NBC sports network out there. You could tell by the somewhat, uh, disappointed sound. When but, but the sound in. of inevitability. Yes. Because, uh, with the extra attacker, uh, the as are much more effective than they were on the power play with the extra, uh, skater, uh, during, uh, most of the game, but, uh, the extra attacker, uh, which gives them a six on five skating advantage, uh, that proved decisive and boy is McCarr amazing in in all of those kinds of situations three on three five on four obviously was one man uh, point man on the power play really he is and of course six on five he's shooting through four bodies not hitting anybody which is just that snapper with the pace of a slap shot uh, it's it's unique to Makar, and it's why in ESPN's top 100 rankings. Of oh, yeah, we'll get into that NHL, more. We'll get into that a little bit that's later. Why He's up there. He's up other there. Other than Connor McDavid. McCarr is in a class of his own. Uh, yes, although he's going to have some company. We'll tell you more about that uh, in a bit. The Oilers and the Avs well represented, especially near the uh, pinnacle of that. But when, when you look at, at not only this particular game, but the way the Avs played, you know, they get into the overtime period. At the overtime period, it almost felt, again, inevitable 
that the Avs would be able to get it done because they have a couple different advantages. Not only when you, when you take one, you know, when you take a guy off the ice, the Avs can put their elite skaters up there and then it becomes really, really difficult to stop. But the Avs have another advantage that they, the other teams don't. They don't have to press because the players, they can roll up in a shootout. And I include goaltender Alexander Georgiev in that. I feel are unmatched. The combination of the skaters they can put on the ice in a shootout with Georgiev as the backstop, I don't think there's a team in the league that has a better setup for shootout wins. And so for the Avs, when they get to overtime, they can afford to be patient and wait for their spot, and that avoids sometimes the way you see a lot of teams lose in overtime. They get a little hyper-aggressive, one bad pass, breakaway goes the other direction, game over. The Avs don't have to take those risks in overtime. Certainly they're skilled enough to make the right decisions and score in overtime as well, but they don't have to. And over the course of an 82-game season, that is a luxury. I remember probably three years back, four years back, it amazed me how ineffective the Avs were three-on-three and how many games they lost. Stanley Cup year, it got better. Last year, it was very, very good with Georgiev most of the time. And then, of course, uh, this year we saw an example the other night as to how uh, the Avalanche were smart, uh, sound, three-on-three, took a penalty, went down four-on-three, and killed off the penalty. Again, Georgiev had something to do with that, but they played a very sound two minutes while shorthanded and they're nine for nine and killing penalties this year. Obviously a much better start than they had last year on the kill. Yeah. They weren't nine for nine last year. I can tell you that. I I just, I feel like this team has more or less what it needs. Now, when I say more or less, look at the idea. When you look at backup goaltending, Pavel Francis put on the LTIR. He's not going to play this year. Unfortunately, the the injuries seem to really be uh, piling up there. And he's well into his 30s. Yeah. Now, Eustace Annanen, the top prospect for the Avs, uh, then sent back to Loveland where he played for the Colorado Eagles and needs to start with regularity. He needs to be the top guy. He needs those reps. The Avs, late in the preseason, traded for even uh, Prosvitov, who's now their backup goaltender. Now, Prosvitov, a lanky, lanky guy. Uh, He's... Only 175 pounds, but well over six feet tall. So we're talking about a a long, lanky kind of guy. The Avs have to find out sooner rather than later if he can really be the backup, because we've talked about this before. Coming into the postseason last year, it's not as if Georgiev was poor. He wasn't, but he did look like the, the workload was heavy. And you'd like to see that workload be reduced a little bit during the regular season. And that would mean Prosvetov's got to play pretty much as often as a healthy Pavel Francouz would have played. And and when you look at that, think how many games is that going to be? I mean, Sandy, I think it's got to be between 20, at least 25 games, and oh, maybe even yeah, as I'd get yeah. closing in on 30, if you're really going to have Georgiev hit the playoffs in post in his best possible form. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but, uh, you know, I say this about the playoffs, but it's true in the regular season too. Uh, he, he He was good the other night. But he only had to face 21 shots. Correct. And and if he's only facing 20, 25 shots and you've got a day or two between games, 
you can plan for three games in a row, which I didn't think necessarily would happen before the season began with the, with yeah. the three row games, but they're spread Schedule out permitting. for one. And secondly, listen, they gave a lot of shots to the Kings. I think it was 36 in the opener. That's more shots than they should be giving up, but only 21 against San Jose. Now San Jose is terrible and they have no offense to speak of. Uh, the goal they scored was on a redirect. But against anybody, if you're talking about 20, 21 shots, he's going to be fresh tonight. Yes. He, he's he, he's not going to come off a game in which it probably would have taken him 24, this, 48 this hours. This would have been one of those games where on the, on, the, on the face I look at it and say, you know, I'd prefer that Prospetov start this game. Uh, as you pointed out, the – Cracked a little banged up. The home opener is is Thursday. Uh, I would like to see him because basically I'd like to see the backup, ideally, maybe play uh, one out of every three games to ease the load for Georgiev. But I get because this is the Kraken, this is the team that bounced him. Well, you would yeah. like you would like to beat him and, and, well, no and put, not get play. those demons behind him. And you're right. The schedule allows it. So that is advantageous uh, for the Avalanche. You keep things going. By the way, in that game, 51 shots for the Avs, including overtime. Yeah. Uh, Nathan McKinnon, and I love this, but we'll talk about this a little bit more with Katie Goss, 14 shots. And I love that, Sandy, because I look at it with, if, if I'm Jared Bednar, Nathan McKinnon at this point is like 1980s Ricky Henderson who had the green light steal whenever he felt like it. If you think it's a, if you think it's a good shot, take it. Just take it. I'm not going to tell you don't take those shots. Just did, go for it. Did you see Keep the, ripping them. Did you see the video, the practice video when they were in Upset with the ice in, in L.A.? Yeah. I've been in that practice arena uh, during the Stanley Cup playoffs back in 2001, uh, Bob Hartley's avalanche between games three and four worked out at that very rink in El Segundo. And it was bad ice then, <laughs> still bad ice. And uh, McKinnon, they were drilling on the power play, and I guess the puck hopped. Listen, the ice wasn't great in San Jose at the Shark Tank, nope. which I always thought had pretty good ice. But it was not very good the other night. And that, that also contributed to the low score. I mean, the goaltending was scintillating, but the ice wasn't great. In any case, the, this practice rink has always had bad ice, and they're drilling on the power play, and the puck bounces over his stick, or he doesn't get control of it. And in frustration, he smashes his stick over the crossbar. And they asked Bednar about it after practice, and he says, perfectly fine with that and and then of course uh that night he has a what three-point game Mm -hmm. and then the other night he gets 14 shots on goal so uh he can break all the sticks he wants to do whatever he wants they'll they'll, they'll make more it is uh it is football season going on as well but of course we talked about hockey's coming on basketball is ready to get going why bet with the big boys instead try your hand with the local book that's our friends at superbook sports the book next door, just a dedicated team of the best odds makers in Las Vegas, making sure that you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. And now Superbook will give you a bonus of up to $250 when you sign up and wager on the same day using the promo code MILEHIGH. So bet with the best and use promo code MILEHIGH this season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We'll talk more about the Avalanche. They faced the crack and a little bit of revenge probably on their mind. Regular season to no. First crack at the guys that ended your season last year. We'll break it down with the ringside reporter for the Avalanche on Altitude Television, Katie Goss, next here on My Life Sports. <laughs> 